An alleged van theft caught on camera. The video that shows some vigilante justice. A notorious neighbor who ignores the law. Justice Devi said everything you said today was made up nonsense. Justice Devi is not the only judge. What the judge said to illegal hostel operator Emily Yu and a well-known charity in big trouble. We really need a Christmas miracle. How thieves spoiled everything for the Surrey Christmas Bureau. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. Vancouver police are warning women to be aware after a pair of sexual assaults over the past week in the same neighborhood and they need your help to find the suspect. Vancouver police believe the same man is responsible for both and they're releasing surveillance videos showing the suspect. Ramina Dea reports. The suspect glancing over his shoulder as he leaves the area. This key piece of evidence coming from a surveillance camera from Peter Wang's home near Main and 41st Avenue. I'm shocked. Like, I just can, cannot imagine like this guy can dare, you know, to do this around 1 p.m. In the afternoon, yeah, that's unbelievable, yeah. Vancouver police investigating two disturbing sexual assaults in the area from the afternoon of October 16th and the morning of October 19th. The male suspect approached a woman from behind and groped her. He did the same thing to a second victim. After each incident, the suspect ran away before police arrived. Well, that guy probably is uh, really uh, brazen, some kind of thing that, you know, he's middle of the day and knowing that there's also a lot of passers-by here, a lot of uh, motorists. Thankfully, these women were physically uninjured, but the emotional and mental distress they have to endure is concerning. What is going on? Area resident Patricia Kendall says it happened to her 40 years ago. You never forget. It triggers all that back for me about times that I was groped. Yeah. We don't, we don't. It still affects you after all these decades. Yes, yes. We spoke to three residents who believe they recognize the suspect from the neighborhood. He's described as five foot five to five foot seven and has an average build. In one case, the suspect was wearing a mask and carrying a large umbrella, say police. Romina Dea, Global News. Richmond RCMP are investigating after a disturbing incident caught on camera Thursday morning that's been posted to social media and a warning some of the images will be disturbing to some viewers. It happened around 1140 just outside a construction site in the 8000 block of Spires Gate in Richmond. As you can see, a white work van was driven into the back of a large commercial truck. The driver kept their foot on the gas and then backed the vehicle into a ditch. One man then pulled the driver from the van before another hit him with a large plank. At that point, another man intervenes and they call 911. RCMP are still trying to determine what sparked the altercation and if anybody was seriously hurt. And then I see this truck driving by with the doors opened. So that is when I realized uh, there's something big going on outside the street. This white van came zooming around, smashed into him, flew back in the ditch. This guy got out with a two by six, trying to get him out, and the rest is history. 
and it was kind of like a, a bad Dukes of Hazard for a couple minutes. Turning to the COVID-19 pandemic in B.C. now, and for the third straight day, B.C. has more than 200 new infections. We have 223 new cases in the past 24 hours for a total of 12,554. No new deaths have been reported, so that number remains at 256. 75 people are in hospital with 24 patients in the ICU. 10,247 are considered recovered, leaving us with 2,009 active cases and more than 4,600 people in isolation at the moment. Now, with those high numbers, more attention is focused on family gatherings like weddings and funerals that are spreading COVID-19. The Fraser Health Authority is warning guests of a recent wedding they might have been exposed. And as Nadia Stewart reports, event planners and families are scrambling to follow the rules. A recent wedding in Port Moody is the latest to prompt a COVID-19 warning. The St. Street Grill was the site of a possible exposure between 5 in the morning and 11 o'clock at night on October 10th. In the contact tracing, we have seen that people are not sticking with their COVID-19 safety plans for social gatherings, particularly ones like weddings and funerals. Now health officials are zeroing in on these private gatherings that pose a risk for spreading the virus. Take, for example, a recreational hockey game involving firefighters from Delta. One of the members did not realize he contracted the virus from someone in his household until after the game. Once they ultimately did test positive, uh, we had already started that process of isolating other firefighters and, and ultimately ended up being about approximately 39 firefighters that had some level of potential contact. About 20 firefighters who tested negative remain off work out of an abundance of caution. In the end, only two tested positive. Still, incidents such as this has Dr. Bonnie Henry concerned. Social gatherings, especially recently, weddings and other celebrations are proving to be high risk for all of us. Much of the recent surge that we have seen in cases in BC in the last couple of weeks is directly linked to social events. I think if you have to put off your wedding to make sure that everyone's going to be safe, uh, that's what I would do. Kavita Mohan says she has been working with couples to reschedule their weddings to 2021, even 2022. They have to kind of go with the flow, you know, and not get upset. They just have to kind of deal with things as they come along, right? Because we really don't know what's going to happen. And that includes what's going to happen for event planners like Mohan. For now, she's considering picking up another job to supplement her income. Nadia Stork, Global News. And Interior Health is reporting another six people connected to the outbreak at a Col de Lanzo Saab in Kelowna have tested positive for the virus. That brings the total so far to 11. And there are 160 people under quarantine right now for two weeks. The superintendent for School District 93, which is responsible for the Francophone School, is encouraging parents to think ahead. And all of that is going on while we plan for an election. A last round of polling before Election Day tomorrow indicates John Horgan is on his way to becoming the first sitting B.C. NDP premier to win re-election. The Ipsos poll commissioned by Global News finds the NDP is holding a consistent double-digit lead over the B.C. Liberals on the eve of voting day. Richard Zussman has the details. It has been 32 days of this. Mask wearing, elbow bumping, 
zooming. So my next and it all looks like it's going to pay off for John Horgan and the NDP. We appear to be headed towards a comfortable NDP majority. Um, polls can be wrong. It's hard to imagine they can be this wrong. A new poll out for Global News from Ipsos finds the NDP are the overwhelming choice for voters. 51% of decided voters prefer the NDP, 34% will vote or have voted Liberal, and 13% are supporting the Greens. Although it's, it's uh, nice to see uh, numbers uh, in polls, the only one that counts is tomorrow. And all of this adding up to what looks like a majority government for the NDP. The party leading in every region. 54% of the decided vote in Metro Vancouver, 53% on Vancouver Island, and 45% in the southern interior and the north. The regional results have been consistent throughout. NDP well ahead in uh, seat-rich Metro Vancouver. As for who would make the best premier, Horgan continues to be miles ahead at 45%. Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson at 17 points and Green Party leader Sonia Furstenau has seen a huge jump up four points to 14%. Months before this election was called, every poll that was done in Canada had positive numbers for politicians and governments in terms of their handling of COVID. And at the top of the list of all politicians was Premier Horgan. As for Wilkinson, the Liberal leader didn't take media questions Friday, as there are questions swirling about whether he can remain the party's leader past Saturday night. Green Party leader Sonia Furstenau in her home riding of Cowichan Valley. She's the only leader that has seen her likability numbers go up during the campaign. But has she done enough to keep the two seats or more needed for official party status? I'm not going to predict what's going to happen tomorrow, but I am very much making the case to voters today that this is an election to vote not with fear. Uh, don't vote against something. Vote for what you really want. And it looks like on Saturday that big question will be answered. On who British Columbians want to lead them. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Also today we are getting a glimpse how the COVID-19 pandemic could impact this weekend's provincial election. Elections BC breaking down the numbers of how many votes will actually be counted by Saturday night. And Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us now in studio with more on this. Keith, what are they saying? Yeah, it's quite extraordinary, Chris. More than 1 million people, one, more than 1.1 million people have voted already. So this is an extraordinary situation. We've never seen anything like this. This may be the way we vote in the future, not actually voting on Election Day. And you've been able to vote in one of two ways. And the numbers are staggering. 400, more than 478,000 people have voted so far in mail-in ballots. 700,000 were sent out. So more are going to be returning. Uh, so about 66% of the mail-in in so far. Of course, the other way to vote was through the advance vote. Two more days were added to the advance vote, so the numbers are up as well. Uh, more than 681,000 votes have been cast in there. So uh, out of 3.5 million uh, people eligible, Elections BC estimates about 60 to 70 percent of the vote is already in. And uh, uh, Chief Electoral Officer Anton Bowen making the point today, they are working now with the Canada Post to ensure that people's ballots are going to be getting to Elections BC in time to be counted. We are, however, working very closely with Canada Post and we will have election officials in the central processing plant uh, in Richmond to receive any vote by mail packages that are there in that plant as of 8 p.m. Uh, tomorrow on voting day. So yes, a lot of people voting ahead of time, but a lot of votes will be outstanding as mm -hmm. we're on the air providing coverage tomorrow night. Will we be able to make the call, do you think, tomorrow evening? 
Well, I think there's 87 ridings, and we think we're going to be able to make the call in most of them because the gap is usually wide enough between the two parties that it's, it's fairly safe to go with a call with a relatively few number of votes actually being counted or, or polls and ballots actually coming back. But there will be inevitably some ridings that will be too close to call. I think some of the ridings in Vancouver Island, for example, some of the suburbs, uh, just too tightly uh, a contest, I think, between various parties when you've got eight, nine, ten thousand votes not counted yet. And you take a look at some of the Victoria ridings. Victoria Beacon Hill, 18,000 people voted my mail. Uh, is it going to be able to call that riding? Probably because it's an NDP stronghold, but other ridings, tens of thousands of people uh, literally voting by mail, not being voted, or not being counted for two weeks. By law, 13 days must pass before we count those mail-in ballots. We might not know the ultimate winner uh, to this contest until November 16th, but keep in mind, we didn't know the winner in 2017 for several days and weeks after that as well. Yeah, it was a late night on election night. Yeah. might be a late night tomorrow too, but for a whole different exactly. set of reasons too, but looking forward to it. Thanks very much, Keith. All right, North Vancouver's most notorious illegal hostel owner was in court again today after again defying a judge's order. Emily Yu had been ordered to sell her townhouse, but the Strata Corporation came to court to say she was still refusing to cooperate. As John Wall reports, this time the judge had enough. Are you worried about being evicted? No, I'm not. Even facing possible eviction, Emily Yu came to fight. I'm not a worry because the fake is fake, the justice will be heard eventually. The owner of the notorious Oasis House, a North Vancouver townhouse once converted into a 15-bed hostel, was back in BC Supreme Court. I'm a victim of the entire situation. This time for refusing to grant a bailiff access to her property after a judge ordered the sale of the home. Yu owes hundreds of thousands of dollars to various parties, including legal costs and bylaw fines to her strata. She pretended that she wasn't Miss Yu and lied to the bailiff. Uh, she also contacted the RCMP and asked them to attend to confront the bailiff. In court, Yu tried to argue she is a victim of identity theft and court file fraud. I didn't even know I'm a victim of this fraud until June. By the time I find out that this fraud is too late. B.C. Supreme Court Justice Barry Davies calling Yu's arguments made up nonsense, telling her in court, I do not believe a word you say. Justice Davies is not the only judge. But that judge found Yu in contempt of court for a second time. Justice Davies approving the strata's request to have a bailiff gain access to Yu's home by immediately changing the locks. She must also vacate the property by November 30th, after that a restraining order bars her from setting foot on the strata land again. If Miss Yu doesn't cooperate and comply with this newest order, she can be arrested. Leaving the courthouse, Yu remained defiant. But will you remove yourself from your property if someone shows up on November 30th? You know what? Oh, let God to make, uh, make his magic hand. Yu's days of living in this North Vancouver townhouse seem numbered. The question is whether she leaves on her own or in handcuffs. John Hua, Global News. Up ahead, a major breakthrough in the battle against the so-called murder hornets and more scrutiny of Vancouver's spending priorities. The status of a major purchase. The city of Nanaimo celebrates a new spirit. How new Nanaimo bar liquor is being received by the mayor and others who've tried it. And drone delivery in the COVID era, how a lot of rural communities could benefit from this new testing program. We'll tell you where they're trying it out. But right now, a month after we told you about a pricey furniture purchase for Vancouver City Hall amid tight pandemic spending, 
The results of an audit on the designer chairs are back. And as Jordan Armstrong reports, Global News has also learned another floor of the municipal building is getting a facelift. The expensive Herman Miller furniture rolled up to the second floor of Vancouver City Hall last month is staying put. A review by the city's auditor has determined the purchase, which after tax came in at nearly $360,000, was in line with policies. And if the chairs were sent back, the city would be on the hook for tens of thousands in restocking fees. The furniture was ordered as late as May, after the mayor said this. Our staff is working flat out to find savings, reduce costs, and make sure we are in the best possible position when it comes time to plan our economic recovery. The timing of this is terrible, and we have a lot of challenges, and we should be focused on them. Ken Sim ran against Kennedy Stewart two years ago and plans to run again in 2022. The analogy I would give you is if your roof is leaking at your home, the last thing you do is do a you know, a bathroom renovation. It'd be crazy. And we've learned the second floor isn't the only part of City Hall getting a facelift. The third floor council foyer has been deemed too colonial and will be redecorated at a cost of $18,500. Sim says reconciliation is important, but he questions the city's approach. If you asked for donors to donate artwork and culturally sensitive and historically relevant art, there'd be a lineup. And so there are things that we can do to avoid paying, what, $18,500 on a renovation and use those resources where they're, they're needed. A statement from the city's communications department reads, quote, Right now the foyer is not a space in which all of Vancouver citizens can see themselves reflected. It presents an Anglo-centric, settler-focused interpretation of Vancouver. The foyer currently displays official artifacts and photos that generally represent the colonial history of Vancouver. We asked for an interview with city manager Sadhu Johnson, but got no response. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. A devastating arson in Mount Pleasant has destroyed some of the most unique and original independent stores left in Vancouver. One suspect was arrested and released as the investigation continues. And while no one was hurt when the flames spread to six businesses, merchants, or merchants there are taking stock of their lost livelihoods. Paul Johnson reports. There's literally water in this lovely John Coltrane, Miles Davis jazz record. This is the kind of sight that can bring a certain kind of grown man to tears. Absolutely destroyed. Lovely dub record. For 13 years, Jeff Knowlton and his wife have run Dandelion Records in Emporium, one of few places in the province where lovers of vinyl could find a large and exquisitely curated collection of records. We had many rare and wonderful things in there. Now, just imagine what a sustained soaking like this did to Knowlton's inventory. Dandelion was one of several businesses destroyed by Thursday's three-alarm fire on Main Street, a blaze that police now believe was an arson. While the damage was catastrophic, the only bright spot was that nobody was hurt when the fast-moving fire tore through the old wood frame buildings. It's hard to see your life's work, um, you know, in that, situ in that state. Of the 10 to 15,000 records Dandelion had, a substantial portion are likely damaged to the point of being either worthless or a fraction of their previous value. There will be some help from insurance, and as word spreads, an online fundraising campaign is bringing in some money. 
but neither of those can guarantee what the future of Dandelion will look like. It's never been a good way to make money, but it's a job that, like, we love. Whatever the commercial scope of a business like a record store is, its role as a pillar of culture in the city is undoubtedly much bigger. Stores like Dandelion are what makes a place like Vancouver's Main Street interesting. And in that sense, they are irreplaceable. Anyone who wants soggy records, shoot me a text. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Still ahead, remembering a maritime disaster and those who came to the rescue. When something like that happens, everybody just comes together. A look back at the sinking of the ferry Queen of the North and how Hartley Bay really stepped up. And the tiny technology that finally helped find a nest of invasive giant hornets. Good evening. Crews are on scene to a crash here. Final clearing stages eastbound on Hastings near Victoria Drive. Just the right lane, left lane is getting by. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $42 million. Lotto Max dream to the max. I'm Trish Chewison in Global One, high above a crash in Vancouver. Global BC 60th anniversary in partnership with Connect Hearing, the number one physician referred hearing provider. We are one week away from the 60th anniversary of the day this television station hit the air. And in going through the archives from the early 2000s, one story of disaster and heroism really stuck out. Jordan Armstrong shows us why the sinking of the ferry Queen of the North was one of the top stories of the decade, thanks to the brave rescuers of Hartley Bay. Live from Global British Columbia, the News Hour. Here's Tony Parsons. Good evening. Witnesses said that it looked just like the final moments of the Titanic. A fuel slick left behind after the first ever sinking of a BC ferry. It was around midnight, March 22, 2006, when the Queen of the North failed to make a critical course change and ran aground off BC's central coast. Queen of the North reporting aground and listening badly, taking on water. When she sank, she took two passengers with her, Gerald Foisy and Shirley Rosette. As for the other 99 passengers and crew, they had the Gitgap people of Hartley Bay to thank for coming to their aid. We don't plan for this kind of thing, and, and when something like that happens, everybody just comes together and helps out. A lengthy court process found BC Ferry helmsman Carl Lilgert guilty of criminal negligence causing death. He was sentenced to four years in prison. We may never know why Lilgert didn't steer clear of Gill Rock. We only know that he and former girlfriend Karen Bricker, also a BC Ferry employee, were the only people on the bridge. So what steps have been taken to prevent similar disasters? The, the biggest change we made in the north is we require two officers on the bridge at all time with the quartermaster. Um, so uh, that is a major change. Fourteen years later, the ship is still at the bottom of Wright Sound, and there remain questions about what led to the catastrophe and deaths of two passengers. What is clear is the people of Hartley Bay, who heard the Mayday call, rushed to the scene, and took in survivors, are the humble heroes of our ferry fleet's darkest hours. It, it was just something that came natural for me to, you know, we're all mariners and when there's 
someone in trouble on the water, we're, we're there. We try and get out there to help the best we can. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Straight ahead, a desperate plea for a Christmas miracle. We haven't even hit Halloween yet, but this is supposed to, supposed to be a pop-up toy store for the Surrey Christmas Bureau. However, the Grinch came in and stole everything they needed. How you can help next. And how Washington State bug detectives tracked down a nest of murder hornets. Good evening. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge, but keep in mind overnight maintenance has lane closures in effect between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. In celebration of Set for Life Scratch and Win's 20th anniversary, every ticket is getting a second chance to win. Visit setforlife.ca for details, 19 plus to play. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. You might be pleased to know there are some new developments today in the murder hornet case south of our border. The Washington State Department of Agriculture has found an Asian giant hornet nest on a property in Blaine. It's the first discovery of a nest in the U.S. and it was found thanks to the help of tiny radio trackers that were attached to some of the hornets. The nest will be destroyed tomorrow and the tree itself may also have to be taken down, if necessary. An Asian giant hornet was first discovered in B.C. last fall in Nanaimo, and residents along the border have been asked to keep their eyes out for the invasive species that can attack and kill bee colonies. Well, B.C.'s largest Christmas charity has suffered a crushing blow, and it's looking for some help. The Surrey Christmas Bureau was ready to set its pop-up toy store up in an old roller skating rink when they discovered thieves basically destroyed the building. Linda Aylesworth reports. It doesn't look like much now, but for a couple of months every year, the old Stardust Roller Rink is transformed into something really special by the Surrey Christmas Bureau. We create that wonderful, magical pop-up toy store and serve all of the clients in Surrey that we work with. Over 2,000 Surrey families depend on the Bureau to put something under the Christmas tree. But this year, when the property owner went to check out the building, before handing over the keys so the volunteers could start setting things up... Unfortunately, found that somebody else had been in before us and removed all of the wiring, the plumbing, the fire safety sprinklers, everything has been taken out. It's not the first time the Christmas Bureau has been victimized. Last year, the back door was jimmied by thieves who made off with all their newly donated computers and $6,000 worth of gift cards. The community really did come through for us. We were certainly more than made whole. It was really very much like it's a wonderful life. I felt very much like George Bailey at the end of the movie. It's not like there's ever a good time for bad things to happen. But this year is going to be particularly hard as many families have suffered income loss due to COVID. What the Bureau needs is a new venue in central Surrey, 10,000 square feet close to transit with a loading dock and parking. And most important of all, it must be free. We really need a Christmas miracle. Uh, we, we normally would be moving in this week. I know the business community will come through and find me a space. I am absolutely sure of it. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, a test of drone technology that could soon be delivering COVID-19 PPE and testing supplies 
to remote rural communities. Trial runs are underway in Alberta right now involving the University of Calgary, the Southern Alberta Institute of Technology, Alberta Health Services, and the Stony Nakoda First Nations. Researchers say drones can deliver the testing kits and then transport them to Alberta labs a lot quicker than ground transportation. We can deliver the, the, the tubes and the testing equipment, uh, test people, and then bring it back. And we've been able to show that that, uh, that can work. So this just opens the door to a lot of other possibilities and opportunities. Researchers are planning more trial runs in the coming weeks. Dr. Connolly says if the drones prove uh, useful, the technology could eventually be used to respond to medical emergencies in remote areas as well. Still ahead, the legendary West Coast dessert turned into a drink. It's going like hotcakes. The guys who invented Nanaimo Bar liqueur and how it's being received in the city of the same name. And in sports, SFU stays sharp. How COVID is actually helping the football team prepare for the season. Metro Vancouver managed to dodge the first snow advisory from Environment Canada today. Other areas were not quite as lucky. Cypress and the North Shore Mountains were the only higher elevations to see any snow today. Of course, they want it up there, and they did get a significant amount. Cypress is reporting 14 centimeters of fresh snow. Elsewhere in the province, this is the winter wonderland that people woke up to in the Merritt area. The biggest snow-related problems today were on the Coquihalla near Merritt, where a number of crashes shut down the highway in both directions. Dozens of semis, buses and other vehicles were forced to sit and wait while the highway was cleared of spun-out vehicles. Most of the accidents were in the southbound lanes, but northbound traffic was affected as well. Not good at all. Yeah. Definitely uh, need improvement. Plows need to get out here, but they can only do so much. It was terrifying. We tried to follow one of these big trucks the whole way just so we had like a guide to be able to see. And then once we um, finally rolled in here, realized that both highways were closed, so. The highway was reopened this afternoon, although transport trucks were only allowed on a few at a time to limit the amount of traffic on the road. Some parts of the Coquihalla got as much as 34 centimeters of snow. Oh, glad we weren't on the road today for one of those news hour road shows, Christy. But you're over there on the North Shore. You're getting a little <laughs> close to that snow line. Not at your house, though, hey? No, certainly not at our house. It dropped to what I see as about 600 meters, Chris. So certainly a nice uh, layer of snow for the local mountains, which is great news. We broke some records today, though, across the province. Here's a look at some of the records. Uh, Kelowna, Penticton and Kamloops breaking a new October snowfall record. So this would be the most amount of snowfall uh, ever in October. So not just on this day. So some pretty great numbers, that's for sure. Although parts of Kelowna saw up to 26 centimeters but that wasn't at the airport thank you to everyone who's been sharing these great photos it's tough to see snow and pumpkins at the same time and still a lot of deciduous trees out and snowfall on them this is sort of like what you would get in alberta with all of a sudden snowfall so there's a, a quick range carmi which is um uh an area in the through the interior I saw 30 centimeters that was the most that i had reported but uh Kelowna, west bank area or a uh, west Kelowna area 26 
Peaks. And there's uh, quite a range there. And a quick look at Cypress Mountain today. Uh, Mount Seymour was like that and Grouse Mountain as well. All right. So this is all going to push out overnight. And then we're talking about cold, clear conditions. I am a bit concerned about icy conditions tomorrow morning, certainly with a bit of frost or any slushy conditions and refreezing because these are your overnight wind chills. So if you're headed out to uh, vote tomorrow, if you've got little kids with soccer, make sure you're bundling them up and just watching for that ice. Even during the day, a lot of regions not warming up much. Just a slight chance of a flurry in through Kelowna and uh, Soyuz. But otherwise, we're talking about sunshine for the next two days. Uh, certainly, um, Sunday could be a touch cooler. And I'll leave you with tonight's weather window, which is really a great shot from the Lillooette area. Big snowflakes coming down. Thank you to Sid for that. And yes, it's still fall, though, really, officially, you can see with the leaves. That's right. Doesn't feel that way for a lot of folks, though, but thanks very much. Cool picture. And have a great weekend, Christy. Well, it has its own stamp, and now Nanaimo's famous dessert has its own liqueur. Nanaimo Bar Cream Liqueur is flying off the shelves in the city known for the three-layered treat that requires no baking. Yes, I would really Joyce Hardcastle won Nanaimo's 1986 contest to find the ultimate Nanaimo Bar, and her recipe is considered the standard. Forty Creek Whiskey says the $30 liqueur pays tribute in name and flavor to the iconic West Coast dessert. And we put it to the... Cheers. Let's see. Oh my. It has a bit of coconut. It has some chocolate. It has some cream. I think it's very close. I've tried it and it's like eating a Nanaimo bar. It's got a little bit more kick, but it's literally like eating a Nanaimo bar. Nanaimo is feeling a little bit snubbed, though. That's the mayor going for a test. The signature liqueur was released in Ontario first before hitting store Just shelves in the city that's known for Nanaimo bars. And the mayor likes it, too. Good to know. It's endorsed by the mayor. All right. Uh, one of these days, we'll get a bottle here in the studio, maybe uh, that, on election night. Is that a good idea to have booze that tastes like an Nanaimo bar? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I foresee much drunkenness. <laughs> could happen. Um, we're going to talk a little white cast because they're going to the final four games of the regular season. and they, Well, they don't have to sweep them all, but that would certainly help make the playoffs for them. Also talk about SFU's football team and show you... The phantom tackle, one more time, last night, which happened to the Giants quarterback, Daniel Jones. Perfect for that uh, conference, for sure. All right, thanks, Squire. Also tonight, satellite debris. <laughs> Fastest wardrobe change in the history of the News Hour. Squire Barnes with sports right now. See? Show his wardrobe changes. I didn't like my jacket. I had to switch it up. Uh, Nostradamus, at his most, most clairvoyant, could not predict how the Vancouver Whitecaps will be from one game to the next, despite all that's happened to them. Forced to play away from home most of the season, they still have a playoff chance with four games to go. They'll play San Jose tomorrow. Then they have Seattle, Portland. Those are going to be tough games. And finally, the LA Galaxy. The cap probably need to win at least three of the four and one of those three has to be a win against San Jose tomorrow which Lucas Cavallini is convinced they can do despite the unpredictable nature of his team. I mean if we play our game like 
that we know how to play. I mean, we can beat this team, but not only by a close score, we can even make it a big score, but that depends on us. Speaking of big scores, uh, Tampa Bay and L.A. tonight, Game 3 of the World Series tie 1-1, and L.A. got off to a quick start. Justin Turner with the solo home run off Charlie Morton. The uh, Dodgers have tacked on four more. They have a 5-0 lead in the fifth inning. Well, a lot of Seahawks fans were rather worried when they heard the story that Seattle was interested in signing free agent and suspended wide receiver Antonio Brown. They thought he might mess up the chemistry in Seattle. Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore because Brown signed a one-year deal with Tampa Bay to play with Tom Brady, who he played briefly with in New England. So they can worry about it down there. Daniel Jones last night, what a great play. Look at him run. Look at him go against the Philadelphia Eagles. But at some point, he was tackled by what we found out later was a rather muscular earthworm. Didn't score. They would eventually score. And even his own players are laughing at his expense. Tiger Woods today had a terrible first round in the Zozo. Check this out, though. Oh, come on. I can do that. And I have. So that was the third shot on this hole. But... The fourth shot, he decides to take the putter out, and he gets a par anyway. Had a much better day today. He's two under par after uh, 36, but well back of the leader, who is this guy right here, Justin Thomas. He is at 14 under par. Nick Taylor's at six under. Had when like Woods is two under, and he'll play with Tiger Woods tomorrow. Well, if practice really does make perfect, then SFU's football team should be a lot better when they play their next game. The only problem is... They don't know when that next game will be played. For the most part, practice is not really that enjoyable for football players. But this year is different, obviously. And just to be able to get on the football field to practice, there's some big smiles under those helmets at SFU. We wish we could be play, playing. And, I mean, we can't be around like in the locker room like we usually are. But still, just being around the guys and hanging out what we can and keeping our distance. It just really brings the mood up. When we're in season, we're practicing every day, so now we're only going a couple times a week, so I look forward to it every day. <laughs> the SFU roster is nearly 100 players, but since they've been keeping their distance, this time to actually get together and practice is so welcome on a lot of levels. For a lot of our players to get a chance to really be around each other because they're still getting just to, you know, get to know each other since a lot of them didn't get to come up here in the spring and those kind of things. So um, we're just excited to get out here get out here and play some football and do what we love to do and get the chance to socialize with each other. It's been a struggle for the Simon Fraser program since joining the NCAA a decade ago. In the last five years, they've lost 46 of their 48 games. But this COVID break actually gives them a chance to make up some ground. The NCAA has allowed schools to get in 16 extra practices. Not all colleges are able to practice because of high COVID levels. So SFU's hoping they can come out a much healthier program after the pandemic. We now have a full year to really like learn our new coaches, learn the new playbook. So, I mean, no one likes this, but we definitely can use it as an advantage. Just so we can get these guys a lot of reps, um, see what we have out here as far as, you know, what direction we want to go and what guys need to specifically need to do and just putting them in the best position they can be to be successful. There's a silver lining. They are unbeaten this season. That is true so far. All right, Squire, thanks very much. And Squire's going to be right back, as will we all, with Satellite Debris.
All right, Squire, what have you found? What treasures await us in satellite debris? Well, we're going to start off with a, a commercial about Alexa and how um, the viewer has all the power. Let's put it that way. So mm -hmm. here we go. I never said it, but they always did. Did Spin Rogers die? Yeah. Could you do it again? Okay. <laughs> I always loved you, Spin Sorry, my eyes was here, but my brain wasn't. Just kind of. One more time. My man. Man, it's it again. Alexa, rewind 10 seconds. I never said it. That was a big budget commercial, I might add. Yes. This one, not so big budget, but also gets your attention from Doritos. I want to apologize to you guys for eating all the Doritos. That was a thoughtless thing to do. A bad thing to do. The worst thing I've done to this family. Now I freely admit that I ate all the Doritos, but let me explain. Let me clarify. Let me say that'll never happen again. Now to make things right, mommy's going to buy more Doritos. Yeah! That's right. Mommy's a good woman. A great woman. A goddess. All right. I don't know why it took so long for this to happen. Die Hard Batteries and the man who made Die Hard famous, Bruce Willis, coming together finally as one. There we go. Well, you wanted the quiet life, John. Dead batteries, empty streets. So, yo. to advance auto parts. I need one of those. Is there another way out? Um. Come on. You kidding me? Did you know we have free installation? Yeah. Oh, my God. Argyle? You still driving this thing? You're getting blood on the seats, man. You alright? We're getting out of here, buddy. Just gotta change my battery. My night pal.
my line. <laughs> Diehard batteries, owned and sold by Advance and CarQuest Auto Parts. <laughs> Speaking of big budget commercials. Yeah, that, that definitely qualifies. Worth the wait though, I would say, yeah? Was that a Christmas commercial because it was Die Hard? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Thanks for watching, you guys. Have a great weekend. Don't forget our election special starting right after the news hour tomorrow. Have a great night.